Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Father Donald Haggerty. Uh, he is a priest in the Archdiocese of New York and the author of uh, many things, including Contemplative Provocations, uh, another book, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, and Contemplative Enigmas. His new book is St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. That is our topic today. Welcome, Father Haggerty. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate you having me. All right. Well, why don't you, you, you know, just for, for some of our readers, you know, we, we've got a pretty knowledgeable readership, but just in case, can you give us a, a very brief, we'll get into the details, but a very brief biological sketch of our subject. Who, who was St. John of the Cross? Well, St. John of the Cross was a, a Carmelite priest who was a companion of sorts with the well-known St. Teresa of Avila, and Saint Ch- in the 16th century, Teresa of Avila, who had been living already as a Carmelite for about 20 years, uh, in- initiated a reform of the Carmelite order, and she was successful with that, started, uh, I think, 17 new foundations of Carmels, and five years into that, she was 27 years older than John of the Cross, and a few weeks after he was ordained a priest, he had a meeting with her. At the time, he was thinking of becoming a Carthusian. He had already taken vows as a Carmelite priest, and she convinced him to join with her in the effort to reform also the men's branch of the Carmelites. And he took up that offer, and that was the beginning of his um close contact with her, and then also it initiated as well his writings in, in, in a very serious vein of contemplative uh, literature, and in much contact with her uh, Carmelite sisters also. But he's a, he's a good figure also to know that he had much experience, not just personally, in mystical and contemplative life but he had much contact with these Carmelite sisters. So he learned much of the beginnings, the middle you know, level, and high-level advanced spirituality also from his observations and directions to uh, Carmelites, including uh, St. Teresa of Avila herself. Very good. Uh, you offer in the beginning of the book a, a bit of a correction of the common understanding of contemplation. Uh, where where do we go wrong in our, in our modern sense of what contemplation is? 
Well, the idea of contemplation, of course, can, if we look that word up in the dictionary, can have a number of meanings, you know, a reflective or pondering effort of the mind. Uh, but it has a specific meaning in spiritual theology and for John of the Cross, and it refers to a grace that can take place for those who are serious about prayer and give some dedicated commitment to daily silent prayer, which, by the way, as a priest, I see many lay people now becoming uh, enamored of and, and dedicating themselves to, you know, at least 20 minutes, a half hour of some silence every day in prayer. And when we do that, it's possible if we are giving ourselves generously in the in the totality of our lives, then if we give ourselves to God, to his will, if we're not indulgent in our sinful behavior, then God can grace that time of silence and take us over a threshold into a different quiet that takes place in the time of prayer. So contemplation is the beginnings of this new grace that can then continue in a, in a life, depending on the person's uh, response to that and how they handle that approach in prayer. One thing I, I've said in, in interviews when I've, when I've talked about young people and, and their digital technology and the, the loss of, of faith, of, of religious ritual generally in the lives of the young is to tell them, don't, don't you know what a blessing it is in your life? to be able to pray uh, in the evenings, to, to go off by yourself in solitude and have 15 minutes. Just go when you're in college, go, go step inside the chapel, sit in the dark, and simply mm -hmm. just absorb the silence and contemplate that I, I think this isn't, you're right, I, think, I, I don't think we, we, we communicate enough. Just, uh, as you no. said, the, the, the grace, the, the gift that comes when you are able to do that. Well, so true, Mark. You said it very well there. And if, especially if young people and people going on in the years, if we can give, you know, in a committed way, that silent time to God, not as just a methodic, you know, type of practical approach, but really with that openness that we're placing ourselves before God. And if we could do it in a church in front of a tabernacle where his real presence is there uh, as a Catholic, that has a, a very powerful drawing effect over time. And we learn as, you know, the great contemplatives will teach us and John of the Cross will teach us as this book, you know, tries to teach as well that you know, God will be speaking through the longing uh, and deeper layers of the soul. And the soul itself is a great mystery. You know, we, we're so accustomed now in some manner in our, in our contemporary life to, to be very occupied with, you know, the technology, to have our minds, you know, in a sense scattered, you know, from here to there constantly. But if we can slow that down and quiet, ourselves and enter into some regular silence, God does speak in that silence, and he, he starts drawing out the longing of our soul for him. And it's a two-way street in prayer. You know, it's an exchange between God and our soul, and greater depths of our soul.
you uh, on the longing you you like uh an idea of saint john uh, when he speaks of the necessity of quote being in love with god that there that that, that love is a very big part of this kind of contemplation yes yes of course and the uh you know the whole the whole reality of prayer opens up when we realize not just in an abstract way that he is the god of love but that he does communicate in love to us and even favors you know our soul at times with you know inexplicable uh recognition that he's really there he's real and john of the cross is uh, keen on also allowing us to know that he really does indwell the soul and that there are depths or as he will say caverns of longing within the soul that can open up to the presence of god and and it, he really does allow us to get caught you know seized taken captive you know to become in love with him and you know, it's not exactly parallel to the love that we would have, uh, you know, a husband for his wife or a wife for her husband. But the reality of God and being in love with him, Mother Teresa, I have much contact many years with the sisters of Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa, you know, did use that phrase, you know, to be in love with God. And even with a kind of pondering, you know, note to that. And I think this does take place. Right now, I'm giving a retreat for these sisters and Mother Teresa in Poland, and the the reality of that possibility is so true. And people who are serious about prayer, they do fall in love with God, and it can be for a lifetime then. One of the difficulties that, that people have is precisely what, what you've been putting about presence and, and feeling the absence or the distance of God, how are we to distinguish the absence of God from another term that comes up in your discussion, concealment of God? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and an important question, because you know, the absence of God would actually be a misconception that God is never absent. But what he does do is because of his ultimate mystery and his truth as infinite transcendence. He's so beyond us. You know, even just think for a moment the expansion of the universe that we now are aware of in our modern time. Well, God is beyond anything of the physical extensions of the universe in his, in his infinite depth. And what is really true about God and what the experience of a person of serious prayer will become is that he conceals himself that he's a hidden God. It's true, we have passages of that in Isaiah and the Old Testament. Even we are facing this each day. If we are Catholic and we go to Mass each day, or even if it's on Sunday, we are seeing and encountering the hiddenness of the real presence of our Lord in the fragile appearance of a host when we go to Mass and are in the presence of the Eucharist. So the concealment of God is also a great provoking reality of our spiritual life. 
Now, I like to think I wrote in, a, I think of the first book, you know, God in a way plays the game of hide and seek with us. And a child loves that game. Every child plays the game of hide and seek. But a child even knows that when you're playing hide and seek, the one hiding is not absent. He's there. It's just that he can't be seen. There's a need for searching, for uncovering, you know, that hiding place. And this is the great reality of prayer, that he hides, he conceals himself, but he is there. And he's there as the one drawing us in, in love. On this issue of, of the absence, uh, you refer to something you call, quote, a hiding place deep in our own souls. Is that one of the places where God ends up being concealed deep within us? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a, one of the great uh, truths of the spiritual life, the indwelling presence of God, but also of Saint John of the Cross's great teaching, and and of Carmelite teaching. You know, the Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity, who was a Carmelite contemporary with Saint Therese of Lisieux, you know, wrote beautiful things on the indwelling presence and the reality of being in a trusting awareness of God's constant presence. And John of the Cross's great uh, poem, The Spiritual Canticle, begins with that whole idea of God's hiddenness. Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out searching for you, and you were gone. And he's going to use that as a kind of point of departure then speak of the real presence of our Lord in the depth of the soul, but in one sense, always at deeper layers, you know, a deep cave that we have to keep plunging into um, in search for him, not plunging into ourselves, but the idea that God is there in a real manner and that the soul is in effect like a, a tabernacle for God's presence and to be honored and you know, sought in this kind of worshiping manner as the other also in companionship with our own life and our soul. Yeah. You raise at one point uh, a difficult uh, paradox, but one that I think actually is, has an optimistic uh, end to it. You say, quote, to come to know strangely a spiritual delight in what is frustrating for the mind. What is going on there? Well, his thought is that, you know, the intellect in faith is always going to meet the infinite transcendence of God. And yet at the same time, this God who is beyond grasp, you know, he cannot be comprehended. He cannot be taken to the possession of and, you know, grasped in our hands, so to speak, in, in regard to the mind you know, pondered and looked at as an object, and yet he's proximately very close, you know, to our our reality, and he's there. And, you know, it's something like when we receive him in the Eucharist, you know, we take him into our heart and soul for some minutes, you know, we have the God of the universe, you know, dwelling in you know, our very body physically, and yet, you know, we can't lay hold of that. He is there, and we can be loved 
and yet it's always not so much fading, you know, like a, a smoke, you know, fading away from us as much as a fire that burns now at a deeper level that we can't get to. And, you know, always this kind of, you know, provoking reality in God that he, he gives us a taste for the sake of greater longing, greater hunger mm-hmm. and thirst, you know, that, that proceeds after that. So what, what people take as a frustration, uh, a difficulty, a block, uh, or, or uh, you know, an unavailability, no, no, this actually shows you the way, correct? Yeah, and he has a, he has a beautiful sentence, I think, at one point in this early spiritual canticle in which he says, you know, anyone who is going to find a hidden treasure must enter the hiding place secretly. And when he has discovered it, he will find that not only is the treasure hidden, but he himself hides with that treasure. So it's a, it's a beautiful thought that, you know, in seeking the God who hides, he does allow something of an entrance into his enclosure, but only when we also, you know, take our eyes or are released from ourselves. You know, it's very, very much like what the gospel says, as you lose yourself more in love for our Lord, then you begin to discover him more. And, you know, it's, it's that reality too, like the missionaries of charity Mother Teresa's sisters, Mother Teresa with her great, you know, contemplative side to her in seeking, you know, the real presence of our Lord and the poorest of the poor, the, the giving away of oneself in turning toward the poor people and then turning toward our Lord in the Eucharist. You know, this, this is part of also the, that lifelong, you know, pilgrimage toward, toward God, toward the mystery of a God of great love who keeps drawing the soul onward. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. In chapter two, you, you actually assert that, well, according to John, that intellect and will uh, must be emptied in, in some way for that love of God to blossom. You call it, you actually use the term dispossession of the faculties. Uh, is this, I mean, would one call this anti-intellectual, or how would you characterize the, this attitude toward the intellect? Yeah, that would be a, uh, a good question, an interesting question, but it really has to be answered in regard to what St. John of the Cross will speak of the impact the effect of the theological virtue of faith on the intellect, and then the theological virtue of charity upon the will. And it's not so much 
it's not at all that we would pursue a a kind of methodic emptying of the intellect, almost a Buddhist type of emptying of the mind or some kind of mind emptying technique. It's not that, it's that if we grow in the experiential effect of faith on our intellect, we will find that the the mind itself undergoes in prayer a certain silencing. So thoughts, not so much they freeze and tighten up or become ineffective, but the, it's the entering into a greater depth with God in his presence that the intellect does not function and operate as it would in our normal thinking or in a conversation like we're having now. So it enters into this silencing as an effect of, of more closeness to God. And the will itself becomes more zeroed in on this one thing needful, this longing and desire for, for God himself. So it, one thing about St. John of the Cross that's good to be aware is that he's not teaching, as sometimes we see in books, like on centering prayer, he's not teaching method or a technique, you know, that somehow will be the answer to, you know, this, this, this journey to God. What he's teaching is if you give yourself to, to God, he responds to that. And the theological mm-hmm. virtues then work on the faculties. They, they, they themselves empty out the, the mind, the intellect uh, in a certain way in prayer. That's not, you know, a negative thing as much as an opening to the, the much more vaster vista of God's presence. And it's not an anti-intellectual thing as much as a um, an experiential reality of the contact with God in contemplation. Yeah. You, you actually cite the phrase, quote, certitude in darkness. Y- you know, we don't want to be in the dark, right? We want the light. We don't like the unknown, the mysterious. We, we, we want to see, we want to be in control, right? And, and that these... I mean, in a way, these, but these are, you've you got to let go. And, and that in the silence, you know, a lot of young people, they just hate to be in silence. They want the distraction. They want the noise. It makes them feel less, less lonely. The challenge is to, to see and to feel in that darkness, right? To feel a, a presence, a possibility, an opening. Is this what you would say? St. John would say. Yeah, that's, that sounds very, uh, very accurate and, and correct, Mark. The, and it, it's a great statement when St. John of the Cross says that what faith does for us is it intensifies certitude. It intensifies our certitude of knowing that he's there, you know, for instance, in the presence of the Eucharist in a, cha- in a tabernacle. But we know, we know with kind of absolute, you know, certainty, the real presence, but we don't increase, he says, in a sense of, we don't increase in the clarity of vision or clarity of knowledge. We don't expand necessarily our conceptual, you know, comprehension of this. And it's a, it's a great thought because there's a humbling aspect to that. We would, we might think that as we get closer to God, 
you know, our thoughts become that much more clarified and crystallizing and we can, our vocabulary expands and we become more eloquent in our discussion of God, even interiorly. And it actually may be much more the opposite. We become more certain. We know he's there, but it's an entry also into a kind of blindness. And the blind man knows, you know, his companions with him, but he doesn't see the face of that companion. And, you know, John Lacoste the loves the a metaphor of the blind man. You know, faith and love are like a blind man's guides. They will lead you down a path unknown to you to a place where God is hidden. And faith and love always leading us to that real real presence of our Lord in, in the encounter in prayer. Uh, what, to St. John, is the specific value of asceticism? Well, John the Cross is, uh, you know, he's a, he, we might say he's a very severe, you know, teacher in some manner. You know, he's, he's an all-or-nothing person. But, in fact, all the saints were like that. And when he teaches the importance of asceticism or self-denial, he's really speaking there not so much that penitential practice or physical asceticism is going to cause, you know, the growth of spiritual life. It's a basic, you know, principle and teaching that if our will is drawn and, you know, in a sense, pursuing many other things, it could be physical things, comforts, pleasure, sinful things, you know, pride, ambitions. The, these pursuits are capturing the will and the need for contemplation, the need for anything of greater uh, encounter with God really does require that our will is open in longing to God, that the one thing needful is really the one thing of great importance in our life. So he has a phrase, for instance, deny your desires and you will find out what your heart really longs for. And it's a really a good statement because, you know, if we're, if our desire, our attraction is the next meal, the next this, the next that, then we're actually just blocking what, you know, Carthusians or monks or people more, empty of these things of the world, their heart, without these other desires, is longing more openly for God. They've, they're not blocked by the, the many other scattered, dissipating desires that can capture, you know, our human experience. In your own contact with people, uh, what do you find are the highest hurdles on their road? to contemplation? What is the hardest thing that you find to lead them past? Well, I think the, the big initial uh, question would be commitment to time. And hmm. many priests, I mean, if you talk to priests, most priests are not living, you know, a serious enough life of prayer. I mean, to say that even mild, mild, mildly, because the the importance of choosing for God, making a decision at some point, you know, earlier the better, that I do want God in a very serious way in my life. Then you have to give some time. 
And if we do that, then that opens the door at least. And then there is the question of, you know, if we, if we, if we're indulgent in too many things, then God becomes secondary. You don't become necessarily a bad person from that, but you know, God, I think does not force himself on anyone. And in, in effect, he doesn't compete. You know, if we want him as a great priority of first, of first importance, his door is very open, but uh, he won't compete. He won't be a rival to other things in our life. So that would be something I would say to people, if you want him, and there are, I, I see lay people, you know, I work at St. Patrick's Cathedral. I'm in Manhattan, a busy city. Uh, and I see this a lot, that young people, I see older people, all kinds of people, they're quiet, but, you know, they're quiet in the church, but they choose for that time with our Lord. And some are very regular. So if a person wants it, God has that door open. And it's a, a reality in lives that do want that. But that's the key thing. You have to want it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard young people in my teaching experience, they the ones I, I would teach at Emory who were pretty motivated. They were shooting for graduate school of some kind. They were always so busy. I'm so, and they would say this, I'm so busy. I am so busy. Uh, and it, it seems to me that being busy wasn't just about getting something done. It really was about running away from, from, from the contemplative because... It, it, it does mean that you have to sort of set your desires down for a moment. You have to step out of this world uh, in, some, in some fashion that is getting harder and harder for people to do. Would you, I, I know you, you, you say St. John is not about giving us a method, but uh, final question, uh, Father. Would you say to people, listen, I want you to stop what you're doing at nine o'clock every night, no TV, no whatever, you're gonna, 15 minutes. I want 15 minutes at some time in the night where you simply pray. You, this could be, I, you might wanna say the Our Father over and over again. It doesn't matter. Is this a step that you would, 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 would advise people? Would you advise people here on this podcast? Last question. That's a great uh, recommendation, Mark, and absolutely. You know, we begin by our first step, and 15 minutes is not asking too much, and you might be surprised at how much your life is, is changed by that. I would also say people who read the gospel, you know, when we, when we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the love for our Lord and then the desire, I want something of him now in a much closer manner, that begins with 15 minutes, you know, but to do it every day, to find that time every day. And we will find that God, when you knock on his door, he opens and something begins changing in the life then. The book is St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. Father Haggerty, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, 
and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.